and good afternoon and welcome to the Kim Power Stilson Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Today we've got a lot uh, happening. We're excited about that. We're going to start off with the Stealth Health Revolution. It's a segment we do every single Tuesday on the show with Montel Williams and it's about Whole Foods. We're going to start off with that and then we'll be back with more of the Kim Power Stilson Show after that. I just love the words with the Stealth Health Revolution. This is your host, David Christensen. Welcome all you Whole Food Warriors out there that are trying to kind of figure out how to get Whole Food Nutrition into your diets. Today we are going to be talking to Frank Davis, who is the CEO and uh, founder of Actives, Whole Food Nutrition Simplified. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, how he has changed his life through Whole Food Nutrition. Last time, Frank, we, uh, we talked to you a little bit about uh, your, your Masters Basketball Association um, championships and how you got through that. But you haven't always been that way. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about how you, you know, overcame you know, some difficulties you've had in your life. Okay. Well, uh, interesting. Uh, uh, just this last week I had a family reunion and uh, a brother and sister and uh, uh, my brother, unfortunately, he's only a year older than I am, is uh, in the hospital right now doing a stem cell replacement. He's got cancer, and they haven't given him that long to live. Uh, I have an older sister who's passed away. Both my parents passed away, one from uh, heart disease and the other one from lung cancer. And, uh, you know, so I keep getting people telling me it's genetics. And uh, and the funny thing of it is that I was the sickest of all my family growing up. I had every childhood disease. I had uh, all of the allergies. And, you know, so I had pneumonia twice, hepatitis twice, mononucleosis twice, uh, and then all of the childhood diseases. And I'm convinced that I was raised for all intents and purposes on antibiotics, which basically suppressed or killed my immune system. So I just uh, I just caught everything, and I was basically a sickly kid, even though I uh, I was able to pay participate in in sports and stuff. And but I just constantly would get something, anything that came along, uh, any flus, colds, whatever. I got them all. But uh, and it was in my 40s when I ended up getting chronic fatigue syndrome, which uh, just laid me flat. I could not function. I couldn't do anything. And I am considered a type A personality, and that's a very hard thing to deal with when I want to be on the go doing, running, and that in combined with, you know, what my wife calls a yellow personality. I'm driven by fun, and, and I couldn't do anything. When I went on a trip, I had to lay a bed out in the suburban, and my wife drove, and I had to lay down. So that was probably the last straw that I said, i got to find a solution. I started digging, researching. I ended up going to a symposium uh, that was put on by a number of universities across the country entitled Foods as a Medicine. And this was uh, one of the most impactful uh, presentations that I'd ever seen. And it, it was every presentation of these PhDs, uh, they were linking uh, diet to disease. And in essence, they said every known illness, every known disease can be linked to some form of dietary deficiencies. And uh, I do remember asking at one point, one of the presentation, I said, well, isn't there a wide variance in, in the 
nutrient value of food depending on where it's grown, how long it's been in transport, whether you cook it or not. So how do you know you're getting all these nutrients that that you need to support a healthy body? And anyway, long story short, uh, my whole focus from that point on is I've got to be able to find this in a concentrated form that I know I'm getting what I'm supposed to be getting because I can't eat everything they told me. I can't discipline myself to do that. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about. Obviously, Stealth Health is, is the name of the, the program that we try to do. So what did you do to find a way to make this easier for you? Because I, I know, you know for myself, it's very difficult to try to get all those things in. Well, that's really where I ended up meeting a guy that was a uh, nutritionist, so to speak. But when I dug through the the pulled back the curtains a little bit, is where I found out that this Michelle Baccarella, who's been with me now for 15 years, was really the formulator behind a whole food supplement that I got on, and literally within less than 30 days, I was out of my chronic fatigue. And I became so convinced that if you give your body the right nutrients, that it will work miracles, that I became so enamored. I would They were out of Arizona. I'd go down there. I'd do blood testing. I did everything. And anyway, long story short, this guy ended up... Um, uh, doing something that his entire staff was going to leave him. They they did leave. Uh, one of their sales managers called me and said, you really need to come in and pick up the pieces. That's when I got a hold of Michelle. We brought her on board. And then uh, I, I basically said, can we improve this? He said, absolutely. Uh, and I said, then throw away the checkbook. Let's just get the best. Let's make sure that we're doing what you want, what I want for me and my family and you and your family. And that's how we started. It wasn't a commercial enterprise. And I did it for years like that, actually just uh, uh, make, researching, getting the best and developing a whole food concentrates in a form like what we now have in the complete and the nine a day. And that is what I was on that pulled me out of it and has basically kept me disease free for all these years. You know, a couple of minor colds over the the last 15 years, but that's it, you know, so. That's great. Well, thank you, Frank, so much for telling us the story and uh, and kind of how you overcame that. We appreciate you being here today. Thank you. So this is David Christensen, your host. This message was brought to you by Actives, Whole Food Nutrition Simplified. Join all the other Whole Food Warriors out there at StealthHealthRevolution.com. This has been the Stealth Health Revolution with Montal Williams. All right. Thank you, Montel Williams and uh, Dave Christensen and his guest, Frank Davis. All right. Welcome back to the Kim Power Stilson Show. We are going to talk about some fun things today. We're going to start with social media. We have with us the CEO of Synergy Marketing. We have Dimple Thacker with us, and we grabbed her really quick, and so we have to apologize for the lessons, but she is apparently the best. Uh, she began her career as a social media agency in New York, and she was the executive director of promotions for them. She started Synergy Marketing, and uh, by 2012, she'd received the Power 30 Under 30 Award, and that's uh, an organization that recognizes young professionals that have accomplished a lot at a young age, and it's a prestigious uh, nomination also that she received called Impact 100. And so um, Synergy, by the way, in 2013, won the Small Business of the Year Award from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which represents 100 of the best in American business. And so we've got Dimple on with us uh, for a short time. We grabbed her out of her busy day. Thank you very much, Dimple, for joining us on the show. 
Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. You know, I know it's crazy for a a radio to call and say, hey, we want you on to talk about social media, but we're excited (laughs) that you um, would share your time with us. Are you um, at your office today? You know, actually, I I mostly work from home, and I I will go to our office spaces. We're mostly virtual. So I will go to our office spaces whenever there's a meeting, but otherwise I like saving the gas money. Okay, that's great. Now, where are you? Where are you now? What state? Uh, I'm in California. We're mostly based in Los Angeles, but our team is sort of scattered everywhere. I've got a couple of people on the East Coast, some people in um, EOC, um, a couple of people in the Midwest. So we're we're all over, but predominantly based in LA. Great. I grew up in LA, so uh, that's that's funny. I can see why you'd want to save the gas money. Yeah, and the time, too. You could easily spend half your life in traffic out here if you really wanted to. Yeah, I did. I used to drive into, um, I don't know if you know, Compton, which is kind of a, a, it was a scary area then. I don't know if it is now, but I drove into Compton when I worked for a Japanese company, Hitachi, out there. And um, Uh I would leave at 5 in the morning and for a 9 o'clock start sometimes that early. That's. That's unbelievable. I could not, I could not do that at all. I like, I mean, not, the working at home thing's not for everyone either. So I totally understand if you want to be out and about and do the nine to five thing at an office or more than that, then go for it. But I like, um, I'm kind of OCD when it comes to my time, and so I like the convenience of working from home. Well, speaking of OCD with time, we are excited to have you on. We understand that um, you've supervised social media marketing campaigns for brands like uh, Photobucket and Mebo and Ning and Kanye West and 50 Cent, um, who we've had on the show, um, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears. Um, Can you tell everyone listening what that's been like? And more importantly, for people that are listening all over the nation and even internationally, you know, what, why do you love social media? What about it is that you love and why it's important? today you know um i i love social media just because i guess i always trace it back to my childhood um i had really strict parents growing up i mean if you want to go to the you know your friend's birthday party down the street forget about it uh sleepover forget about it so you know i got my first computer when i was 10 years old and Immediately, you know, you, it was back in the day when you get that AOL disk in the mail and you put, plug it into your computer and all of a sudden you're connected to email and chat rooms and things like that. And so I was sort of fascinated by the whole chat room aspect of things. And I would just log in just out of curiosity and kind of do my social networking um, that I didn't get in, in the offline world, in the online world. And then that led to um, kind of moderating message boards uh, for some of my favorite bands online. Um, and then that led to the job, which you just referred to in New York, where I was managing those high-level campaigns for celebrities and tech companies. And back then, you know, there wasn't really a Facebook, and Facebook was more so of a social networking site for college students only. You needed a .edu email address to even join the site. So all the marketing was mostly done on MySpace and Friendster, if you even remember that site, which is before MySpace. Um it was, an interesting, it was an interesting world because there weren't a whole lot of people using MySpace for the high-level type of marketing we were doing. I mean, we were doing, we were really engaging these fans. You know, when Kanye came out with his album, we would do a contest where we'd ask the fans to go buy a copy of his album, take a picture of yourself holding the album, 
and then we'd put it into a photo bucket slideshow and post it right on his MySpace page. So it gave fans the chance to kind of feel connected to the celebrity and to even get like the spotlight put on them um, because they were part of these campaigns. And so a lot of our campaigns dealt with engaging these fans, and you could see that as the engagement increased, the sales would increase uh, all across the board with merchandise, with uh, uh, ticket sales, with CD sales. And CD sales were the, the most crucial thing because, you know, that was around the time where CD sales would decline and it would be harder to push, you know, um, physical copies of the music. I, I love it. I, I'm I'm just thinking back to MySpace and, you know, because I was on, I was an early adapter, right? Um, I remember when they used to have email where people would print off email from the server and travel and walk around and hand it to people in memo envelopes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's silly because it's like the whole point of having the email so you don't have to do that. But, right. you know, there's a, with everything, there's a learning curve, Um and sometimes there's this thing called the path to dependency. It's this theory, like, once you've done something a certain way for so long, you can't really go back. Like, for the best example of that is our, our keyboard, a standard keyboard on a computer. It's a QWERTY keyboard, and they used to have it that way because typewriters would break because the most popular keys would be so close to each other. And so they created the QWERTY system, and now you don't really need it on the computer anymore. You can go back to alphabetical order if you wanted to. Um, but because everyone's so used to typing that way, <laughs> you know, they just kind of kept it that way, and that's just the way it is. So even though it's not practical, to, or it is practical to do that way, you could change it, but, you know, it, it would cause a lot of chaos, and um, <laughs> it would make it really hard for people to do their jobs. You know, that Dimple, that is so interesting. We're talking with Dimple Thacker with Synergy Marketing. Um, hadn't thought of that. Past dependency. So do you see that um, evolution all, as well, like you were talking about the keyboard in the social media? I mean, people were used to go right to MySpace, and now we don't see that. Do you see some other trends happening that kind of uh, equate to that same past dependency? Which I know we were talking about email and paper, but um, I, I'm just wondering about trends in social media. Are they are people hard to shift from their habits? It is. Um, you know, the only reason where Facebook was able to take away that market share from MySpace is because MySpace didn't do a very good job of keeping the online experience um, remarkable. It turned into a place where you're getting constantly spammed on MySpace. You log in and bands and brands would be using bots to automatically add people as friends. You'd log in and you get maybe two or three real friends requests from people you met when you're out and about. And then you get about 100, 150 requests uh, from bands. And then once you add them, then they start spamming your wall with, buy my CD, check out my show, and it, it just drove people crazy. Whereas on Facebook, while there is still some of that spamming and uh, interruption, I like to call it, in the social media space, they've still done a pretty good job of policing it well and kind of keeping it to a minimum as best as they can. Um, furthermore, you know, People, once people made the transition from MySpace to Facebook, um, because the experience was remarkable for so long, everyone has invested a lot of time in building their online lives in that space. You know, I can track back to 10 years ago, my time in college, all the way up until now. Just think of all the photos, the memories, the highlights, the life moments, everything that you've recorded on that site 
it's going to be pretty difficult, regardless of what the popular media says about Facebook declining. It's going to get be pretty difficult for people to make the jump to another site where they have to kind of start all that over, you know, years of their lives. So I think that's where it really where the break happens is when a, when a social networking site starts to do a terrible job of the social part of the site and it starts to interrupt people's interactivity, then you'll start to see changes like that. But so far, I don't see Facebook um, screwing that up too much. It has been a little weird lately with, um, you know, weird ads coming up in people ti- people's timelines and um, just a little bit of that kind of spamming. But I think um, they've always done a good job of changing, constantly changing themselves. So hopefully they'll, they'll fix some of that stuff soon. I have I have several more questions, as I'm sure do our listeners. We're talking with Dimple Thacker. She is the CEO of Synergy Marketing. We're talking about social media for the first half of the show today. We've got to take a quick break, Dimple, but we'll be right back with more after this. And welcome back to the Kim Power Stilson Show. We're here every day at 3 p.m. Eastern, every weekday anyway, on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. We're talking with Dimple Thacker, and this year her company um, and her website was nominated as the Most Innovate Agency Website by iMedia Connection. Dimple, welcome back, and thanks for talking with us today about social media. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, you know, I one thing I've noticed over the last, I don't know, seven or eight years of social media is everybody claims to be an expert. And I just, I think there's just absolutely no way you could ever be an expert because things change so quickly. It's true. Um, you know, I don't know. It's kind of, you know, the problem with social media is it's not like, you know, becoming an attorney. You don't have to go through this intense, specialized higher education to become an expert. You don't have to get license you don't have to take some sort of an exam and so it really has created this I'm an expert and I'm an expert and my mom's an expert and her brother's an expert and it's really been driving me crazy personally um, to the point where you know we've kind of created a new slogan that we're working on at our company which is um, we're basically saying yeah there's thousands of experts but only one professional and that's us. (laughs) I Um, love it I saw that I love it it's kind of a way to poke fun at all the people who are calling themselves experts and really get separating, you know, themselves from uh, the people who really do this on a high level, who have results, case studies, you know, the awards and accolades and recognitions to back it up. Um, and I guess my advice to people out there, you know, if you're shopping around for a social media agency or um, an individual to help you to consult with you and to help you execute some of the marketing you know, really get down and dirty with them and and screen them. You know, um, ask them, do you have some case studies? And ask for a variety of case studies. Show me a case study where you just increased engagement. Show me a case study where you captured a 1,000 email addresses. Show me a case study where you drove sales. Because ultimately, that's what people want to see as, as part of their long-term goals, is that this is increasing the bottom line, the bottom number, that they're getting, they're making some money from this. Um, and so do all those things. We like to take it a step further, um, and we like to give clients the case studies as well as a direct reference to another client. It could be a previous client who worked with us on a short-term level, 
or it could be a client that's an existing client. We go, here's their name, here's their number, you call them without us involved and ask them everything you want to ask them about us and make sure you're comfortable with us 100% before you hire us. And because we're so confident about the work that we do and our reputation, we have no problem with, with doing things like that to, before people hire us. Well, I love what you're saying because um, I've taught a lot of um, social media classes and also sat in on a lot of social media classes. And you always want, finally, some kind of standard, right? I mean, what what kind of, like you said, engagement. One thing that I think a lot of people listening, especially if they have their small business, might want to hear from you is, you know, is there is there a way to make, and, and we know the answer, right? But people still ask this all the time. And is there a way to make money? Um, with social media if you're a small business and you are on a budget? I believe there is. Um, I think, um, I don't think it comes down to size. I think it comes down to intelligence um, and creativity. Um, Because when you hear about successful case studies out there in social media, sometimes, yeah, it's a huge brand that pumped thousands, maybe hundreds and thousands of dollars into a campaign. But you also see case studies from like mom and pop shops who just did something that was so creative that it just took the world by storm and then the media starts writing about it. And that's, that, was, that was the whole um, thing about social media. It's this platform where you can compete. You can be the mom and pop shop and still compete with the bigger brands. Sure, you won't have as big of an advertising budget. You won't have you know as many resources. But if you're intelligent enough and you're creative enough and you understand the space enough, you can come up with a campaign that goes viral. You know, it's that's that's easy to do as long as you have, you know, the resources in place and you know how to use them. So I definitely think there's always potential in um, causing disruption. And even though social media is not as disruptive as it used to be, it just seems you have to get that much more creative and that much more intelligent about it. And, you know, what helps is reading, you know, the case studies that they put out there, um, consulting with, you know, people who are actually experts and professionals in the, in the space, um, and then just kind of really understanding the platform, you know, um, and, and understanding how people interact online. A lot of brands, I like to get on Facebook and go, check me out. Well, I'm sorry, there's 100,000 other brands saying, check me out, too. You got you to gotta really push it and and get in there and really interact with people and build relationships. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. So would you think as far as making money, engagement doesn't always relate back to sales. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that? It doesn't always, no. Sometimes the engagement, all it's doing is it's it's, um, it's helping your awareness and it's helping you just have fans, you know, people to talk to about your brand on a regular basis. Um, but uh, when it comes down to sales, it really comes down to um, basically the number one thing is to have a remarkable product to begin with. If your product's not amazing, it's just not going to sell. But if you have a product that people are going to want to talk about, when you put it out there, it's almost like you kind of go into automation mode. People just think the product's so amazing, they start telling their friends on Facebook and Twitter without you even having to say so. So I think that's what it really comes down to is making sure whatever service or product or whatever it is you're selling is actually something that's good, that's going to make people get excited about it. Um, Without that, it's going to be a lot tougher to get, you know, to see that long-term goal, which is sales. 
I like that. A remarkable product. Um, and I think people are, you know, savvy. I, I like to think of Cary Grant. He used to do, I mean, this is before any of us were born probably uh, even on this earth. But I mean, Cary Grant would come on and sell, uh, do radio shows and they would do the break and do this, you know, this radio thing brought to you by soap. And he would talk about soap and then people would just buy soap because there was a celebrity, right? Attached. Cary Grant, oh, I'm going to use that soap. But now people are more savvy. They want to know what's in the soap and who made the soap and was anybody harmed while making the soap? You know, it's it's a different world. It is. People's uh, BS meters, if I could say that, are really high right now. And so if you if you get on social media and you're mediocre and you're average, you're going to have average results. An average product, an average campaign equals average results. But if you can um, if you can become cutting edge, then it, that's going to change a lot of things for you as you're you know navigating the social media space. How do you suggest becoming cutting edge? I know you teach classes. Do we hire, you know, is the idea that people come to professionals like you? What do you suggest? You know, I always suggest um, professionals are always the way to go because, you know, I know hiring, I know hiring a professional can be expensive, but hiring an amateur can cost a fortune in the long term. Um, And so, it's important to come to a professional because at our agency, we have a team of people who are specialized in a variety of areas because social media is not just about going on Facebook and making awesome posts. You know, we have a team, we have a a team of graphic designers that are specialized in creating graphics just for social media. We have a team of programmers that are specialized for programming campaigns just for social media. We have copywriters that are like that. We have, um, analysts who are like that that can take the numbers we even have things people who study behavior um on social media like we have this market research report for example let's say you're coke and you want to know how to convert some pepsi drinkers into your product into liking your product we can actually do an a run an analysis and a market research report and tell you about the personality of these pepsi fans and what type of marketing resonates with them how you should speak to them what personality type are they I mean, this is really, really, you know, intense stuff, and it's um, it's big data. It's it's giving you insights that you can't get anywhere else, and that that comes with working with an agency. You get that kind of access and those kinds of, um, uh, I guess, advantages over someone who's not working with a professional. And ultimately, that would shorten time to sales, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're running, you know, a market research report with us and we're telling you everything about this fan, you're going to know exactly how to reach them. We basically eliminate the guesswork out of how to reach these fans. And so with that, you know exactly where to spend your advertising dollars. Even if you only have a budget of spending $5 a day advertising on Facebook, how much better will you sleep at night when you know that 5 bucks is actually getting spent on your exact potential demographic or the exact demographic that would like your brand um, versus, you know, doing a lot of trial and error initially without any market research and just kind of guessing and going with flow initially. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot that comes into, you know, the research that we do that helps with the long-term plan. And even it kind of, um, it creates a faster path, a more accelerated path to seeing sales eventually. 
I love that. Now, uh, Dimple Thacker, we are out of time today, but you know, I, I don't know if you'll consider, so we'd love for you to come back when we could actually um, keep you on a little longer. Would you be willing? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely call me. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to talk about this anytime you have time. Okay, this is Dimple Thacker, CEO of Synergy Market. You can find her at Synergy, and that's spelled S-Y-N-H-E-R-G-Y.com. And I love your fresh perspective, your brilliance. It's really been quite the pleasure to hear from you, and thank you so much for jumping on with us. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Dimple Thacker, everyone, with SynergyMarketing.com. You're listening to Kim Power Stilson Show. We'll be back with the second half of the show after this brief break. Welcome back to the Kim Power Stilson Show today. We just had Dimple Thacker on talking about social media. And now we're going to go to part two of uh, last week's show that um, everyone was asking about. We have Helene Waldman on, and she's actually here with us live. We wanted to finish out um, her story because we didn't get to the piece that we promised our listeners. And, you know, we want to keep our promises. Um, We interview really cool humans about their solutions. And the solution that Helene has provided is the Whole Food Guide for breast cancer survivors. And um, we're going to have her back on the show in October to talk more about um, surviving breast cancer and some of the reasons we think the breast cancer um, has been on the rise. Um, But Helene, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being willing to come on again. Maybe she wasn't very willing (laughs) to come on. Okay, we think we've lost our guest. Um, But in the meantime, while we're um, uh, hunting her down, um, I'll I'll introduce her. She's a holistic health educator, and she... Oh, Helene, are you back? I'm back. I lost you for a moment, but I'm back. Okay, good. We thought maybe you changed your mind about doing the interview. I'm here. Oh, thank you. So again, um, we were just uh, introducing you again, and um, the Whole Food Guide for Breast Cancer Survivor. For those not listening last week, can you do a kind of a quick um, overview as to why you wrote that? Um, yes. Um, I, I wrote it for a couple of reasons. Um, my, my personal reasons for writing it were that uh, I've been up close and, and personal as a caregiver for some family members and uh, a dear friend who had cancer. And so it has touched my life in in a very, very big way. I lost my father to cancer in 1994, and that kind of launched me on this this journey. Um, My professional reason for writing it was because there wasn't anything that was exactly like it at the time. There were there were books out there with just a huge, huge, huge amount of information about all the things that one could do, you know, to help combat cancer from a nutritional perspective. But there was nothing there that sort of um, categorized it in a way that was digestible, I guess would be the way I'd put it, at least in, in my mind. So what I tried to do in, in this book was to really say, well, you know, here are all the different aspects of your metabolism and physiology that that you want to look at that could either be working well or not so well. And um, as a practitioner, 
you know, what I do is I look at those different aspects of one's lifestyle and physiology and say, okay, what, where are the problem areas here? And what do we need to do to shore up the problem areas? So it's a little more customized, I guess. And I, I felt that was really something that needed to be out there so that people could could do something that was actionable. So, yeah, so that's my, my, my professional and, and my personal reasons for really embracing this project. Well, thank you, Helene. And as we noticed on the show last week, it was so great. Um, I, that's the idea, right? The show, it's so great that you would provide a solution um, that other people could use as well. So today, we'd love for you to talk more about what's in the book and how people can apply that, um, whether they're just looking for some information on whole food or where they have you know, loved ones or themselves that, that need a little assistance with um, fighting cancer. Okay. So would you just like me to start talking about what's in the book? Sure. Yeah. Now we can just jump in with questions. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So what I do, is I, as I mentioned, is I kind of categorize things and I say, you know, here are the things that we know from the literature contribute to either, a, you know, a high risk of cancer or a high risk of recurrence. Now, there's always those individuals who we hear about, you know, they did everything right, they ate all organic food, they juiced every day, they exercised, and, and they got cancer anyway. So, you know, we just don't have any guarantees in life, obviously. However, we, we are aware the literature is just very, very rich with data that suggests that certain aspects of what we do and what we eat and how we live um, can raise or, or lower our risk. So that's what I do in the book is I go through them systematically. So one of the very first things I do, and, and we talked about this last time on the show, we covered actually uh, you know, several things, is I, I, it's called avoidable exposures. And I talk about all of the environmental toxins that are out there um, that are contributing to our, what we would call in the health world our toxic load and our increasing difficulty in trying to rid the body of these toxins and the havoc that they wreak on our cells and on our DNA. And as some folks know, when you get a mutation or a change, um, a, a hit, some people call it a mutation, you know, to DNA, that can initiate um, a, a cancerous episode. It then moves on to... Um, uh, you know, progression and, and other phases of the cancer invasion, but it starts often with some kind of hit to the DNA, some kind of damage is done to the DNA, and all of these toxins that we take in certainly have the capacity to, to damage DNA. So that's one of the things we look at first, and we look at things there like um, phthalates, like the plastics that are... Uh, xenoestrogens, in other words, they add to the estrogenic load of the body. And you and I talked about the plastic water bottles as being one of the prime examples of uh, a xenoestrogen delivery mechanism. Um, also, personal care products, uh, things like deodorants and soaps and shampoos and makeup um, in particular. Uh, there are ingredients in those that are quite, quite, quite dangerous, especially these days because they're formulated with nanoparticles. And nanoparticles are little itty-bitty microscopic particles of chemicals that are small enough to just 
go right into your bloodstream. So don't think that if you put something on your face, it's not getting into your bloodstream because it is. And uh, they did a study actually on teenage girls, the Environmental Working Group, which is one of my very favorite nonprofits, did a study of uh, teenage girls in 2008, and 100% of them showed evidence of methylparaben and uh, propylparaben, which are two uh, carcinogenic additives to um, uh, beauty products, basically, to makeup and personal care products. 100% of them had evidence of those parabens in their blood and in their, and in their urine. So um, that is what we talk about first, and then I move on after and that. Barb, or, I'm sorry, Helene, I just called you Barb. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, Helene, I'm going to just interrupt you really quick to ask you a quick question. So all I noticed when I was looking at your site, um, too, as well, that everything, um, your blog, and before we had you come on the show, everything is very well-cited and annotated. I mean, you really know, you've done your research. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes, I have. Okay. I have. Well, you know, uh, people, I, I was brought, um, I came of age, let's say, you know, when I got my, my doctorate, um, I, I had to do that. And, you know, there were no if ands, no if ands or buts. If you can't support what you're saying, then don't say it. Okay, so good. that's the way I was trained. And I, I think that there's a lot of value to that because a lot of people say a lot of things. But if you can't back it up with anything, then who knows if it's true or not. We are talking with Helene Waldman, and she's talking about her book, The Whole Food Guide for BreastCancer.com. You can also see her site and um, check her out as you're listening to her, unless you're driving, which, again, just keep listening then. All right, we're going to be back with more of Helene Waldman after this brief break right here on Sirius XM 143. Welcome back to the Kim Power Stilson Show. We're talking with Helene Waldman, and she is the author of The Whole Food Guide for Breast Cancer Survivors. And uh, this is the second half of the show that we did for her earlier, and people wanted to know more, especially about whole food. Um, Helene, if I could back up a minute. We started uh, in the last segment. We were talking about the the book itself and the reasons for it, and I... um, also, we also took a look at your blog, which um, has some amazing information on it. Can you, for people who are listening that don't really quite get the difference between whole food and whole uh, and food, can you explain? Oh, sure. Whole food is food that is in its natural state. Um, and so we generally use that um, in opposition or in contrast to processed food, which is something that... I, I, Michael Pollan actually calls food-like substances. It's, it's not even actually food. It's stuff that you get out of a box. And it's, it, it started out, some of it started out as food, but it was maybe heated at very, very high temperatures or it was compressed or extruded like, uh, like cereal or um, otherwise um, really, really, really altered. And then chemicals were added to it in order to make it more colorful or retain flavor or create uh, better shelf life. So that's what I would call um, 
sort of food, or Michael Pollan would call food-like products. They're not actually food. Food is something that comes from nature. So a tomato is food. Um, any vegetable that comes out of the ground is food. Um, a, a beef from a cow that is, as I like to say, lived a cow's life is food. So if the cow grazed on on pasture, which is what cows do, and, and you eat the meat from the cow, that's food. But if you eat the meat from a cow that's been living in a 12 by 12 stall and eating genetically modified corn and soy, which isn't real food, and it isn't food a cow would ever eat anyway, and on top of that being injected with uh, steroid hormones and antibiotics to make it grow fatter and grow faster, then to me that's no longer a cow, really. It's kind of a Franken-cow. And so the meat from that cow is not real food at that point. Now, so that's, that's the difference. So, um, Helene, and thank you. There's a lot of controversy, and we don't obviously want to go here um, for the show about genetically modified and non-genetically modified. And, you know, I know there needs to be time and tests, etc. cetera. But um, so the idea then is is if, if nature in its own course um, – is that's food to you, whole food, um, versus if it's been modified in some way or processed in some way. Is that is that way too simplified? No, I think that's fair. Okay. I think that's fair. I, I think that it's only honest to point out that nature does have some foods that we don't want to eat. I mean, there are poisonous mushrooms. There are plants that actually create poisons to defend themselves against predators. So it's not that every single thing that nature makes is is going to be compatible with our bodies. But I would say the opposite. Things that nature doesn't make and that are full of chemicals, by definition, are not going to be compatible with our bodies. Well, I remember as a child, my, my, my mother made, um, or my grandmother rather, made homemade bread for us. And so... She made this bread, and she had seven boys and two daughters and, and farming family. And then when they moved um, due to a family problem, they moved to California, and they both, my grandmother and grandfather, went to work. And so she was so excited to have Roman meal bread that was sliced. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she was just thrilled because it saved her time and convenience. And, and actually, she would say it's cheaper. It's less expensive for her to, to buy, pick up this Roman meal bread. And so... You know, that's kind of when I remember hearing the arguments about wheat versus processed versus not processed. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny now because now people wouldn't eat. I don't even know if that brand exists. People won't eat that. And people are buying the $7 loaves of bread that are, you know, whole grain. Um, is that is that kind of, you know, what you've seen as far as trends? People seeing that that perhaps their good health is linked to maybe more whole foods like we started out with? Well, certainly in, in where I live, you know, on the West Coast, I've, I've seen that in a tremendous way. Um, we have community-supported agriculture out here where, you know, for example, I have a little tiny, tiny, tiny investment, you know, in a farm. And so I get every other week, I get a huge box of, of fresh produce, organic produce from that farm. Uh, we have uh, lots of restaurants that are very, very conscious about uh, serving organic local meats and, and vegetables. So, yes, where I am, I, I think it really depends on geography because I do know that, for example, in the in the South where obesity is 
just a huge, huge, huge problem. I think something like 80% of the population is, is considered obese. And there's still an emphasis on a lot of deep-fried food and rancid oil and a, a lot of fast food and a lot of, uh, lot of toxic food. And um, that's a big part of the obesity epidemic is all that toxic food. So do you think, I mean, back to the kind of the convenience and health, you know, what's your thought on people that have maybe been raised like I was where Roma Meal was the way to go? Uh, and I'm I'm just using that brand name, but I don't even think it exists. But, you know, sliced, processed bread, right? Um, I remember Roman meal, and I remember at the time it was considered to be a cut above other bread. Yes, a little more expensive, like maybe two cents more expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the days when you could get three Tootsie Rolls pops for a nickel. Right. Um, I, I just remember that because that was my allowance, and you could get three of those. So, um you know, the, the engineer and the producer in here are probably laughing at it because that seems unreal. But I, I, I remember the time thing, right? People got busier and mom, mom started going back to work and you'd see this, you know, this change. Is Are people taking the time now to, you know, do they just need to have breast cancer to take the time to do this? Are you seeing a trend with everybody? And, and I guess, you know, you're saying, you know, in your area you do, but just kind of Oh, across the board, across the U.S., across the world, have you seen anything changing that way? I, I say I, I think it tends, it really is a geographical phenomenon. I see it here. I also see it in countries I visited that have a tradition of, of fresh food. So, you know, I spent several summers living in, in Finland, and processed food never really took off in Finland the way it did in the United States. It wasn't as big a business. So, you know, if you go to a hotel in Finland and get a, a finished breakfast, you're going to get some very dense, probably rye bread, you know, that that is whole grain. You're going to get some fish. You're going to get fresh fruits. You're going to get probably uh, butter that was from cows that were pastured, you know, and, um, you know, lived on grass, which is very, very healthy butter. So, I, I really think it, it is geographical, and I, I, I can't really, you know, I, I don't have a sense of a trend worldwide. You know, there have been pockets of, of tremendous progress in some areas, and then there's been areas where things have really regressed. I mean, unfortunately, healthy food still is more expensive than, than cheap food because it's not mass-produced, and a lot of people can't afford it. And so I think for the people who can't afford it, their health has deteriorated even further because they're stuck eating processed food with even more pesticides and even more chemicals and even more genetically modified ingredients. So I think it's more, let's say, um, more polarized than it was in the past. Yeah, thank you. That's that seems that seems accurate from what, what from what I've seen, and and listeners will have to look at uh, what they've seen and see what uh, see what they think as well. I'm wondering with your whole food guide for breast cancer survivors, um, have you seen what kind of response do you get? Do people, you know, I always get the feeling that people don't believe. Like I'll tell my kids, there's a reason the taco is a dollar, right? And there's a reason you get three for ninety nine cents. Um, is that is that something that people have seen a change with when the, in your experience when they start eating healthier they start having better health? Oh, oh, absolutely! I mean, people are a marvel. People, I just uh, had a client actually here this morning, and she said, "You know, I abused my body for a lot of years, and I wound up with cancer, and you know, now I am." you know, being much, much more particular about what I eat. And 
she said that even though she has cancer, um, which is sort of in remission at this point, she says, but her digestion is better, her skin is better, her energy is better, because we are designed, you know, that, that, that human beings are designed to eat real food, not fake food. So, of course, we're going to feel better if we eat stuff that our body is designed to, to utilize and assimilate and to power ourselves. It's going to, we're, we're, we're going to be running on all our cylinders instead of maybe, you know, if we've got six of them or eight of them, we're running on all of them rather than one or two of them. Okay, that makes sense. So, um, Helene, we have about two minutes left. What would you suggest for people that um, are interested, um, you know, people that would, who would you suggest would read your book or who might want to consider checking it out? You know, it's really, I mean, it's called The Whole Food Guide for Breast Cancer Survivors, but quite honestly, Kim, it's really for anybody because it's a disease risk reduction book. It says, you know, if you want to um, avoid chronic diseases, you have to avoid toxins, you have to manage your blood sugar, you have to manage your inflammation, you have to make sure you have the right enough nutrients. This is true of all of us for, for anything. So, I mean, I, I really feel that it's kind of, kind of universal. It, it really is. If you want to avoid chronic disease, here are, here are some things you want, you'll want to be thinking about taking a look at carefully. Okay, and this is Helene Waldman. And Helene, how can people find your book? Uh, go to my website, which is www.wholefoodguideforbreastcancer.com, and then uh, just scroll down, I don't know, just a tiny little bit, and there's a, a link right there. It, it has the book. You click on it, and it takes you directly right to the Amazon.com page where, the, where you can buy the book. Well, and thank you so much. We had so many people interested in what you had to say, so I hope listeners who asked for Helene to come back um, enjoyed her. We'll have her back in uh, October, uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, to talk more about uh, breast cancer and, and whole food and, and solutions. Helene Waldman, thank you very much for your time today. You're so very welcome, Kim. All right, thank you for listening to the Kim Power Stilson Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.